Okay, we're live here. Uh, I'm your host of the Crypto Mining Tools podcast, Scott Offord. We have our co-host, Ethan Zerka here. Hey, everybody. Ethan here. And uh, I'd like to introduce our two guests today. We've got Brett and Greg. Brett, Greg, tell us a little bit about how you fit into the world of crypto. Uh, well, I'm a miner. Greg's a miner and uh, takes all of our time. That's <laughs> right now. I got into mining back in 2013, and uh, I've been started out as a home hobbyist miner, and uh, I've become kind of an expert in all various types of ASICs, and um, I've done some custom software development. I've also uh, done repairs of ant miners, so a little bit of knowledge and everything. I also have a mining farm. Tell, tell us, what, why is it so noisy there right now? Because we're inside a mining farm, we're in the conference room. <laughs> okay, yeah. So yeah. you're not allowed to show us, but behind you is is like a, a really big modern yeah. mining farm that you guys are at today. Yes. Um, what yeah. What are you guys there doing today? Well, we're right now we're in an ant miner or ant training academy to get Bitmain certified. Okay. On, uh, hashboard repairs on the S17s. It's the first one in America. Uh, Bitmain's here. Actually, we have a representative from Bitmain sitting over here. And um, Greg is the lead instructor of that class. Okay. And, um, we are wrapping up testing today and tomorrow. And then we will be certified Bitmain um, engineers level one. That's awesome. How many people are in the class today? Uh, seven. Yeah, this class is the first that they had in the U.S. So it's relatively small just to kind of do a test run of everything. Sure. You're, you're breaking, now, breaking ground there. That's awesome. Are you guys certified to do other Bitmain products, not just the S17s? Like, can you work on the S9s and the S7s and whatnot? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I have experience with most of them. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually owned every amp miner since the first S1. Right. <laughs> um, but I've, I've been trained on S9s, L3s, D3s, S9s, T9s, E3s, power supply repair, and a little bit on the Z9 minis, which are not really something that you can fix on site. Mm -hmm. Now, in in your expertise, since you you know had all this experience both in in mining and also you're very knowledgeable about uh, the re repair of the miners, um, what is the most common point of failure that you see in these miners? That you know maybe something that that people could change the way they're setting up their facilities to get more life or you know a, a lower failure rate. I mean, the most common failure first, I would say, is probably power supply related. Okay. Uh, a lot of those failures usually are due to like high humidity type of conditions. So if you're able to control the, the dampness of the air in your facility, that should help prolong the life of the power supply. Okay. The second most common failure would probably be a fan. And uh, obviously, if you keep filters or... Make sure there's no debris inside your machines or you mm -hmm. out every so often you know you can prevent some of those types of failures and then after that it's mostly a, a hashboard and to be more specific it's usually like one or two failed asics on a hashboard uh, which okay. will cause the board to go down now in the new s17s there's other types of faults uh, that can arise like uh, something called an eprom error oh okay yeah. we'll also kind of just shut the whole machine down Similar to what you would have seen on an S9 and a kernel log where you get like a pick error. Mm -hmm. 
you'll see that that the equivalent of that in the S17 is is the EEPROM error. Okay. Would you say that the S17 are are more intuitive and easy to troubleshoot, or is it about the same as as like an S9? I would say it's a little harder actually. There's more pieces to, uh, that can go wrong with them. Uh, Hashboards like in an S9 that you could interchange between units. It's not as simple to do on an S17. So if you have oh. one board that's down on your miner and you want to swap it out, unless it's the exact same version, it may not work in the machine. Uh -huh. Okay. Between S17 and the S17 Pro, there's some different information that's stored in the EEPROM. So if you were to mix those boards between a machine, it would just shut down. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Now, yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. Now, I've also heard that there's some sort of logic going on with the power supply, too, and yeah. that I've had people report that they need to have all of their power coming from, like, it can't be split up between outlets. It, like, it all needs to come from the same feed. Well, it's a little more than that. The, the control board is actually connected to the power supply. Whereas on the S9, you know, everything was just a standard 12 volt DC power supply. Mm -hmm. Now some of the manufacturers are starting to move towards a PSU that can vary its voltage depending on the operating mode that the miner's in. So mm -hmm. the S17 Pro power supply uh, will go anywhere from say 14 volts to 21 volts depending on the modes it's in. Okay. When you first boot it up, it'll start out, it'll operate in 21 volts and then it'll start dropping itself down and, usually settle around like 18 and a half, 18.4 volts. And they moved away from the PCIe connectors and they use a, a standard bus bar. And okay. so there's a communication cable that'll go from the control board to the PSU that actually tells it, you know, when to throttle the, the voltage up and down. And then it actually takes readings out of it that you'll see in the kernel log that just indicate what voltage the miner is actually running at. So it's also made it a little bit more complicated in that you can't use third party PSUs yeah you know at least not yet nobody's figured that out yeah definitely now um so a question about the two of you uh you guys have another uh venture that you have together right yeah fix 256 is something that we do we travel around and um it's kind of like um seal team six but for bitcoin mining mm -hmm. repair so, okay. You know, we can drop in uh, from anywhere and fix it's, uh, pretty much anything. So, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, we, we've all come to know a number of guys in the industry that are maybe their own mining farm operators, you know, have a, a pretty unique skill set around the mining space. So we started to put together a group of these guys that are all familiar with everything uh, from the, mm -hmm. you know, I put together my first, like, training class so all of our recruits that are part of our team have gone through the training class with me and that goes through all the in-depth knowledge of how to read the kernel logs how to do part swapping and diagnostics and a client could hire us on a project basis to come in you know if they want one guy two guys five guys you know we'll, mm -hmm. that. we'll come right on site to their to their location we can do the repairs or we can do deployments um I actually hired my own company since I was doing this training this week. We had to do a deployment of S17s, and I hired three guys from our group to come down there and help out while I was tied okay. up here. Nice. Now, Greg, can you walk me through the process of, of what it takes to swap out an ASIC on board? Like, what are the steps? You know, you, you remove the hash board. You've diagnosed, like, this one ASIC is bad. It needs to be replaced. What's the next step? 
Sure. So it's a little more involved than that. I mean, uh, you know, there's two types of failures that you'd see. One where the hash forge is just missing completely yeah. from the miner. And then you'll see others where, like, it's missing a chip. Maybe it'll have 48 instead of 63 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if you see a hash board that's missing chips, typically you can just go find that chip on the board, take the heatsink off, um, solder a new chip on. And there is a um, what they call a test jig that you can use. It's like a control board that's rigged up. So you can just plug one hash board into it, click a mm-hmm. button, it'll run that diagnostic test and tell you if it's reporting all the ASICs and if it's hashing correctly. Now, is, is that something that is uh, e- easy to buy, or, or is it, you know, open? Yeah, is the, it, the like, cool very specialized? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, normally it's only available uh, once you've completed the training through Bitmain directly. They'll open up access to repair tools and purchasing ASICs and other parts that you use to repair circuit boards or control boards. So um, typically you can only buy it from Bitmain once you've completed that class. Okay. Now, when you desolder an ASIC chip, are you using like a soldering iron or is it like a one of those heat gun things or? Yeah, you use a heat gun. Okay. I mean, basically each chip has a number of really small little pins on it. And okay. first step is you have to apply some solder paste to the pins on that chip. Okay. And then you go and you put it in place on the board, you heat it up with the heat gun and it'll cure itself in place basically. Cool. Attach the heat sinks. On the S9s, one side's connected with solder paste, the other side's connected with this black type of epoxy. Um, mm-hmm. S17s, they dip the epoxy and it's all just solder paste on both sides. Now, can you tell us the, the benefits of repair versus replacement? Like, is there a, a cost advantage that, that hosting farms get? Well, I think it, it comes down to really economics and the machine you're trying to fix so mm-hmm. you know for us recently you know with the price drop of an s9 it's been more consolidation of customers mm-hmm. equipment so we could go on site you know separate out good working hash boards put them in miners that have broken hash boards um, the cost of repairing and the time to repair an s9 hash board uh, when an s9 is probably around 90 dollars right now it's not very good. yeah but obviously on an S17, it's a much more expensive machine. Mm-hmm. Probably the same amount of time to fix an S17 dashboard as it is an S9. There's a greater benefit there. So you know, initially, when you have a warranty from the manufacturer, something's new for the first six months, you'll probably just go through the warranty channel. Sure. Once you start going outside of warranty, it would probably make sense to go do the repairs yourself. And if you were in a scenario where maybe you were consolidating miners, you may have a, a batch of defective hash boards. You have somebody just repair that batch of boards, and then you can use them as replacements for other units. So we always, in, in my farm, have bins of replacement hash boards that we can go out and field service a miner, swap out the board, put all the broken ones in a bin, and then we have another crew of guys that so we just goes through them, repair them, and whatever they bring back to life, we typically do a overnight quality check where we run them on a miner and just make sure that they don't fail. Once they pass yeah. that check, they'll get ready to deploy back out of another machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your own farms, your own individual farms. Uh, but first let's uh, just talk about our sponsor a little bit here. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Nova block. Nova block came here in North America um, in August 
of this year, 2019. And in four short months, they've managed to become one of the top 15 public pools in the world. They believe that as hash rate gets decentralized from China and spreads around the world, that they want to be a part of that by, you know, giving users transparency and also educating users on what pools are the best for them. So thank you again, Novablock. Yeah. And um, so one other thing, just go to their website on the top right hand corner. There's a sign up button and you can register for a new account. Uh, you can actually get a permanent reduction in your um, pool fees down to 1.8%. So if you just use the code OFFORD18, that's offered 18, when you're signing up, uh, then they'll know and you can get that 1.8% for life. Uh, otherwise, if you do have a lot more hash power than, than the mm -hmm. usual person, uh, you could probably even get that 1.8% uh, even lower. So get go sign lower. up, give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Novblock. All right. All right. So yeah, guys, let's let's hear more about your miners um, and what you're doing. <clears throat> My mine is something that I built all by myself a couple of years ago. Uh, it's actually when I met Scott because I bought a bunch of dragon men and uh, right. he helped me out a lot through that process. Anyway, me and my brother built it, and um, we at one point had a little over 300 miners, but now we're down to about 150, and I'm slowly upgrading to the S17s and letting the old inventory retire. Um, I learned a lot through that experience because I wasn't an engineer mm -hmm. or anything. So I had to, I, I did a lot of trial and error learning mm -hmm. and uh, very expensive. Yes. Uh, but I learned a lot of lessons that uh, could really save some people some time and energy. If you what, what is the, the single most important lesson that you've learned that you can impart with uh, our audience? In regards to Bitcoin mining, I would say yeah. airflow, 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 airflow understand pressure and and you know i was really freaking out about the temperature it gets hot in charleston i, I have a mine mm -hmm. in charleston it gets up to 100 degrees uh, last year the hottest day was 97 degrees in my mind but i was fine everything was fine because i have the right kind of airflow mm -hmm. so temperature is these miners are not it, in fact they like to be hot and the mm -hmm. new rest of the teams you'll notice you won't be able to start them in the cold. So anybody who has an outdoor mine or whatever, gonna mm. see that you're going to have to warm them up before you start them up. Huh. Yeah. Because the S17 has a, they're more finicky and more sensitive. Even with the chip removal process, you have to use lower heat thresholds than you would with an S9. Okay. okay. Because you'll, you'll fry the chip. So... Now, um, Brett, when, when you were getting into mining and building out your farm, um, was that during a bull run or, or a bear? Uh, I, market? Would, I would say bull run. I got, because I got involved in crypto in 2015. Uh, well, I started paying attention during the 2014 crash. Um, and then I didn't do anything about it until 2000. 15 when I saw the bear whale, the bear whale incident where mm -hmm. it dropped to 300 and it slowly went to like sometimes it went down to 275, but it held 300 pretty, pretty strong. And when mm -hmm. I saw that, 
and it never went any further. I was like, okay, this might be legit. And then I started looking into it a lot more heavily and started buying it up. And then in about 2016, I bought my first miner. And then it, Oh, wow. That was a good time. I pretty much went all in on that, on the mining. I uh, was a federal employee for quite some time, and um, it was very stressful. So I was like, man, this is my opportunity to do something else. So I um, removed myself from that situation, and now I'm a Bitcoin miner. Which is not stressful at all. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's not near as special as as what I did before. So yeah, huh? Okay, all right. Yeah, so, so you, you you and I met in uh, Miami at that uh, Bitcoin Miami conference a couple years ago, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and then you bought those dragons, um, and yeah. I, I I hope those you are alive for you. <laughs> buy my dragons. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's get them sold. Let's sell them to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, what was the question? Sorry. Oh, yeah, I was just wondering. Uh, I, I, I said I hope you were able to get an ROI off of those. Oh, yeah, I think so. They've been, what, it's been two years now running? Mm -hmm. I mean, they were making some good money there for a while. So Yeah, in the beginning, they, yeah. were, they were doing pretty good. Right. Yeah, they're still running. Greg, I'd like to hear your story. So now that we've heard Brett, let, let's, let's get your story. All right, my story is a little interesting so i um i first found out about bitcoin i was at a uh a party over the summer at somebody's house and uh, okay i heard him and some of his coworkers talking about bitcoin and it was really not like mainstream when i got involved so you know i kind of listened and when i went home like i usually would do and just said hey i gotta google this and figure it out right so i uh, i own I mean, I formed and owned many technology companies, and I had wholesale accounts with, you know, big companies that supply graphics cards and motherboards and things like that. So, I started ordering GPU rig, you know, GPU cards to my house and staying up all night and just figuring out how to get the miners to run. And within a few weeks, it, you know, became a complete obsession, and my whole basement was filled with GPU rigs. I had my electric. <laughs> I still have some of the remnants of, of this stuff in my basement from when I started. Um, it then started to take over my server room at my office in addition to my basement because I ran out of space. And uh, then I outgrew that and I, uh, I started going on the quest of where could I get the cheapest power. So I'm from New York and the, the power rates there are terrible. I think when I was mining, I was paying around 22 cents a kilowatt. Oh my goodness. Ouch. So I had to kind of strategic in how I went about doing things to try to make a profit. I, uh, I located a town about 20 miles away from me that owned their own power plant and the power cost there was about half what I was paying. So I rented a warehouse there and turned that into my first official mining farm. And uh, as Brett said, you know, there were some lessons learned about exhausting and I mean, I, I, I ran dozens of miners a real small air conditioner and some exhaust fans and um, some cheap Home Depot shelving. Okay. So I, uh, I ended up giving up that mining farm. That was probably around, I guess it was 2016. So before the market really took off, 
before the big, nice bull run that we had. Yeah, I had. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the KNC miners, but I had a lot, a lot of KNC miners, and I bought them during a recession when people who paid ten thousand dollars or something for them were selling them for two thousand or three thousand dollars. So I, every time I had spare money, I was just buying them, throwing them in my farm. And I actually ran some of those miners for about two and a half years and sold them for the same amount of money I paid for them. Nice. The market started <laughs> to come back. I sold them. Yeah. Um, pretty much sold off all my miners at that point. Just went into trading crypto and um, being more active on some of the forums. So I've been on Bitcoin Talks since probably 2014. Uh, prior to that, I was actually on Litecoin Talk long before Bitcoin Talk, but mm -hmm. I was always involved in both. And I, I really got heavy into Litecoin first and then switched over to Bitcoin after it and have always kind of mined both in tandem. What okay. what was it like uh, buying and selling uh, equipment back then? Like, I, obviously, I think uh, probably the Bitcoin talk forum was, was a, a good source for you there. Yeah, I mean, m most of the deals then took place on Bitcoin talk and there were guys selling their equipment on eBay or, you know, other avenues, which... I think I bought probably like four or five of my KNC machines off people on eBay that were just like, man, I bought this thing and I'm never going to make money back and I just want to get rid of it. Um, and KNC for a while was a really good company and then towards the end they started having problems before they, uh, before they went mm -hmm. under. But they made this product, uh, the last run, which was called the KNC Titan, which hash rate wise was probably about the equivalent of an L3, but we're talking two or three years before the L3 came out. Oh, wow. It was a little bit heavier on power. You know, efficiency wasn't quite the same. But they were very temperamental machines. They would have chips that would, you know, go offline frequently. So even then, I started working with guys that I met on the forums on how can we optimize the firmware and how can we stabilize the machines. And I had a lot of them, so it was a really good test case to really see if the, uh, the algorithms that we had put together on tuning them worked. And that was kind of like the early generation of the auto-tuning that I think exists in the S9s today. We were hmm. kind of tuning each core or die on a particular ASIC to get maximum performance out of them. That's then, the only kind of auto-tuning I like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and now, obviously, as the miners have become more complicated, it's, it's, I think, more important than ever. I mean, optimizing voltage, frequency, airflow, temperature, all those things really the the operating range of a miner today is, is is much narrower than what it was. I mean, a early my first S1 was 180 giga hash, and I mean I've seen guys running them in the coldest parts of Canada, and they would run no problem, and no <laughs> block them, and they were fine, you know. Yeah. Um, and then after a... after that warehouse, I, I went on and I built a few others, and uh, and then I moved as a client down to Atlanta, which is where I have my mining farm now. And uh, they brought me in as a, as a partner to run the division uh, focused on cryptocurrency mining because it was a traditional data center. And now we've got about 15 megawatts running at our site. Okay. Wow. We're one of Bit Bitmain's largest customers in North America for the AMP boxes. So our farm is primarily comprised of AMP boxes. I've heard a lot of um, farms using the ant boxes and, you know, I've heard some different reasons as to, to why they're chosen over, um, you know, just, you know, conventional rack um, based mining. Can you tell us your thoughts, like why go with the ant boxes versus uh, 
you know, a traditional just rack mount mining? Sure. I mean, we, before the ant boxes was, was even an option for us, we did our own version of an ant box, which was like a prefabricated building that we put together. It holds about 1,500 S9s. And, you know, all the racking and everything was done. And the cost per spot was probably not that dramatically different than an S, uh, than, than the ant box route. Maybe it's ant boxes came out to be a little bit cheaper. But the big savings was mostly on the labor because we didn't have to hire contractors and outsourced electricians to come ah. in. We have our own facilities, guys. And, and with the ant box, they had everything ready. It just showed up. All you had to do was run a power feed to it and internet and plug it in and turn it on. And we were ready. Yeah. Plug and chug. Yeah. So it was a little bit oh. faster to build and labor savings and not having to outsource contractors and just do it all in house. I, I still think that our design of the of the building that we put together using ex, you know exhaust fans is actually better than the amp box just because it has like a negative pressure. Uh -huh. So if you lose a miner, you're not going to have all the miners around it overheating because the hot air is bleeding out. So you know the amp box is is good. You know it is cheaper, mm -hmm. easier to deploy, uh, but I still prefer like a custom built structure. Uh, and I think our next expansion, which will be another 15 megawatts, will be a prefabricated building. How yeah, many yeah. How many boxes can you run off of one megawatt, just out of curiosity? Uh, one megawatt? Two amp boxes. Yeah. Probably about two. Okay. All right. Your question, Scott. Sorry. Yeah, uh, it completely escapes me. But uh, we'll change the topic a little bit here, maybe a little controversial. But we, we have uh, a viewer on YouTube right now asking, what miner is better? Uh, the M20S or the S17 Pro? Obviously, they're two very different machines. Yes, please. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? Want to know? Yeah. I don't. I never. Uh, I didn't get a chance to look at the M20S yet. Have you? I have. Yeah. Um, look, it comes down to personal preferences, I guess. And you know, every miner is kind of veered away from the standard form factor. I think that the S17 is the superior product. Um, I do like, you know, from a density perspective, the M20S is going to give you a much higher density for the spot on the rack. But, you know, for guys like me who've spent a lot of money on infrastructure, you know, using a different power plug may seem trivial, but it's a big deal for us to have to go retool all of our racking and right. change from the C13 to C19 plug. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I prefer the S17 in the sense that it slides right into two S9 slots in our facility, and it just takes up the same two plugs that were already there. Yeah, that's that's the biggest difference uh, that I've seen really is if you're going to be buying the the micro BT M20S or something like that, uh, your farm really has to kind of be built out for that. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, your existing PDUs might not work. Uh, that you might be melting wires and everything. And mm -hmm. and from what I heard from the very beginning was that. You know, there were a lot of farms in China, for example, that uh, just weren't very well suited for the M20S and, and that the M20S was going to be more for the North American market. I, I don't know if that was just because of the way that the farms were built out um, or, or what. But, yeah, I, I think the S17, definitely you could just kind of plug it in where two S9s used to be because of the, the two power cable thing. Uh, but the M20S, you, you definitely have to build your farm more yeah. more suited for that. Yeah, and I think if your focus is on how am I going to get the highest amount of density into this certain amount of space, then the M20 might be your better option if that's your primary goal. 
But if you're doing a retrofit or conversion like we're doing, then S17 is probably the better option. And I think at this point, even now, the efficiency of the S17, particularly the new one, the Pro, uh, the Plus, is superior, you know, watt per terahash wise than the uh, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, those, those are coming out to, to be around what seventy two terahash. I got a few early batch ones, and I, they're running between seventy five and a couple of even running seventy eight. Wow. Yeah. Have you guys heard yet of the S nineteen? And if so, what do you know? Nothing, <laughs> I mean, other than it's probably in the works, but you never know. It is his name, Andy. Hey, hey, hey. Andy. Hey, Andy. Hi, uh, I'm Andy. He works with Bitmain. Yeah, All right. They want to know if there's S19. Oh, 19. Oh, honestly, it's really hard to say when it will become. But uh, sure, we, we have the cooperation with uh, Chip Producer. So maybe coming soon. Next month. And next year. Yeah, not to put you okay. on the spot, but do you think that might be uh, five nanometer, or do you think it might still be seven uh, nanometer? Yes, uh, before it, every time you know, before it's launched, everything is hard to say. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. but we also looking forward to say that. All right, Fantastic. nice to meet you. All right, thank you, Andy. Thank you. All right, thank you. Yeah, my my. <laughs> opinion on that is it'll probably just be uh, a further optimized seven nanometer uh, okay i don't think we're quite ready for five yet but soon yeah, yeah maybe a year or so i kind of feel like the uh the the five nanometer might be maybe two years away it's it's hard to know for sure everybody has and different I mean, really the, the the i would say the cell phone market kind of leads the industry because they're the biggest consumer from these manufacturers so so we'll see that come out first with the with the mobile we, phones. We don't have five nanometer chips in our iPhones yet, so I don't think we'll see it in uh, miners until that happens. Yeah, yeah and, and I saw a, a recent article, I think, online saying that, um, uh, what was it? Oh, it just escaped my mind. But but anyway, that... Probably that TSMC just spent a large uh, amount of capital to start R&D plans for five nanometer chips. Yeah, that... Yeah. Oh, and then I also heard yeah. that, uh, well, it was kind of unclear because it, it, I didn't understand if the article was saying that Bitmain was using like three to 5% uh, of the foundry's capacity, or if that was all <laughs> ASIC mining, uh, crypto mining chips um, all put together. I think it was crypto in general, but yeah, like Apple represented like 80% of their, uh, their production. So you know, that puts it into perspective that cell phone market is still quite a bit bigger than the mining market yeah that's awesome that's that's phenomenal to know right. it's definitely growing fast i don't think bitcoin mining is going anywhere it's, yeah yeah it's stuff that right. you know the last several months is mind-blowing and the stuff you're going to see next year it's just going to be amazing it's an industry and, I, and honestly, I think right now, as as much as the price may not reflect it, there's a lot of growth happening behind the scenes. And uh, I mean, a lot of people are preparing for the future and the fact that the having's coming. And, you know, it's really uh, it's really growing pretty rapidly, even though yeah. the price is kind of stale. Yeah. Yeah. The price hey, everybody's holding on to their hats. Right. Hey guys, can you let us uh, let our audience know how um, they can reach out to you guys and get a hold of you guys? I'm sure 
there are a lot more questions that people have and and we just didn't have the time today to to get to everything but um you know how can people reach out to you guys and and learn more sure well i mean i'm on telegram uh, my username on telegram is mind trip and uh brett's hash monk on telegram as well okay the easiest way so to get this. telegram okay all right um, and before we go, why don't you tell us uh, one more time uh, a little bit about the company that you have with um, Brett and Greg and, and who the other um, team member is in, in that company? Yeah. Uh, so our, our other um, partner is Tobias. You know, he's, uh, okay. he's been helping make the contacts with the clients and getting us some of the work arranged. I've been um, kind of the, the lead on the tech side of things and, and managing our guys uh, on site at our project. And, uh, you know, it's like I said, it could be used for deployments. We can be used for rep on-site repairs. Um, training. Yeah, training of staff if needed. Yeah. Um, I, I also just operate as a consultant in general. So I, I've helped clients with, you know, network design, facility design. Um, I also have a custom management software that I've, that I've developed for running my farm. So we have a couple of pilot customers using that. And uh, yeah, well, pretty much I'm full game crypto now too. Uh, I mean, I have other businesses and I, uh, I yeah, just there it is. decided to focus full time on this. Now. Yeah. Awesome. I do. And um, so, so Tobias, um, a lot of people might not know that name, but what, what other name does he go by? <laughs> The coin dad. The coin dad. Yes. Yeah. We, yeah. He's we popular know that. on Telegram and Twitter. Yes. So, so we've been doing some pilot missions, as we would call them, on the fifty fixed two fifty six side over the last three months. Um, we've gained a lot of a lot of traction already. A few clients we've done work for have been repeat clients and called us back multiple times. We have probably about nine or ten guys in the group now that are spread out throughout the U.S. Uh, you know, our claim to fame is that, you know, we can have boots on the ground as, as fast as 24 hours if it's a rush. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're contract based. So whenever you need us, just give us the scope of work, how many people you need. And we know what we have to bring and we show up, we bring our own tools. Uh, I've got some of my own custom tools that I've developed over all the years of repairing miners. I mean, I, if I had to guess I've probably repaired over 10,000 miners at this point in my life. Whoa. <laughs> So there's been a lot that have been built over the over the years that we're gonna bring with us on our deployments that really give us kind of a competitive edge. Uh, we did one project where in seven days we repaired about two thousand miners for a customer. Wow, that's amazing! That's amazing. Well, yeah, Fingers I mean, must have been sore. We're yeah. doing our official launch. Still are doing doing our official <laughs> launch 2020. Yeah, I mean, I I've actually wore a hole through my glove and through my finger. This area of the finger right here. Uh huh. <laughs> I know, I know what that's like. Well, hey guys, um, to get on the, the the podcast at this time because we're you know it's a new year, we're getting ready to get started and everything too. So yeah, thank you for I the think, opportunity. I think you guys are going to nail it. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, and, thank um, you so we'll much. Yeah, see you guys around. All right, take care. All right, bye bye. All right, so be sure to visit novablock.com and check out their mining pool. On the top right-hand side of their website, go to the sign-up button. And when you're filling out the form, 
use the invitation code offered 18 O F F O R D one eight. Thanks to our sponsor, Nova block.